The Koi Gig Pod. I'm laughing because I was listening to a conversation that the City Girls were having and they were just going on about this throw-in. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's our weapon in the World Cup. Subscribe to the feed in the OTB Sports app now. OTB AM with Gillette in association with Movember. Effortless shave, magnificent mo. All right, I am delighted to be joined here on uh, OTB AM now by uh, Noel Mooney, the Chief Executive Officer of the Welsh FA, formerly of the FAI, of course, and, and former League of Ireland goalkeeper, I should say, as well. Indeed, yeah. Um, so we've got, we've got the Welsh, the Welsh uh, livery behind us here, and uh, you're, you're, one of the things that, that struck me this week, Noel, is um, wanting to change the name of Wales when it comes to football to, to Kimlu, so the, the, the Welsh name for it. So this is something that, that's been in the works for a while, has it? Well, I moved to Cymru uh, last summer uh, to become the CEO of the Football Association of Wales. Um, and what I was pleasantly surprised about was the renaissance in Cymraeg, the Welsh language. Uh, it's spoken on the streets where, around where I live, in the coffee shops and that as well. And the FAW has been kind of to the forefront of bilingualism. Um, and encouraging the growth of the language. The reason we're here uh, these days is to celebrate the uh, agreement between and between the Welsh Government and the Irish Government over the next five years in terms of trade and different things. But the language is very important to the Welsh Government. They've got a target of a million Cymraic speakers by 2050. Uh, the FAW have an agreement with the National Centre for Learning Cymraic whereby our staff and the 950 clubs that we have across the country uh, have the opportunity to learn Cymraeg. And you can feel it growing. It's a really strong renaissance, a bit like Ireland, I suppose, through the Gale schools, through the Welsh medium schools, and that um, the Welsh language is really going to rebirth. So we are called Cymru uh, in Cymru. Uh, and also, I mean, for, for example, rugby, um, um, Wales play against New Zealand, uh, the All Blacks, over the weekend. And if you look at the social media and that from the, the rugby union, that's Cymru against the All Blacks. Yeah. So it's not unusual, as Tom Jones would say, to call ourselves Cymru at home. The question is, obviously, we're going to the World Cup finals, which you know, we'll have five billion people watching us. The question that was raised a while back was, when you're watching on TV and it says we're playing USA, for example, should it be WAL? Or should it be CYM when you when you're looking at the ticker tape or on the yeah. left hand corner of the screen, and you see? So, like, it's something that we're interested in just debating is the best way of putting it. So at home we're called Cymru. That's what the teams are known. Yeah. All of our national teams are called Cymru. So it feels natural to call ourselves Cymru abroad. But we have to be mindful that the world knows us as Wales. You know, so it's how we do that. But again, it's a debate we'll have. It's one we discuss with the government, we discuss with the players, discuss with the fans, discuss with the clubs. And next year, I think we'll have a discussion around it and see where it takes us. But we should be open. I mean, we're a bilingual nation, uh, and therefore we should consider, you know, the best use of that bilingualism when the, when the chances occur. I suppose the, the FEI in Ireland will be looking at this as well as something that maybe you could adopt more and get into the Irish language a little bit more. Um, the Euro 2028 bid joint bid I guess is, yeah. is, uh, is another one that's, that's on the table at the minute and I know Turkey are the, the competitors um, and a lot of things at play here in terms of who's going get, to get picked you, you, you're calling for the first game to be in Cardiff for example but, but what's, your, what's your feeling in terms of the likelihood of England, Ireland Wales, Scotland getting, getting this bid over the line? Well first of all I think it's a great bid, I mean just having the five nations together uh, on the two islands together in the way we are. And we work really well together. There's a great um, spirit amongst 
the board of that bid, which is the five CEOs, mm. and the others, like the governments that are involved. The governments here uh, in Ireland is fantastic supporters of the tournament, I have to say, as is the UK government, as is the Welsh uh, devolved government. So everyone is together. In, in Cymru, we have got this saying, together stronger, which is very much the bond between all of us in Welsh football. But the bid feels like it's together stronger as well, that we feel that we've got a really good proposition in every way, whether it's supporters, whether it's a commercial bid, whether it's the stadia. You know, we've got so much to, to offer. We believe it's an extremely strong bid that would be, you know, the best Euro ever. Um, so, you know, we just put our best foot forward, um, make sure that UEFA have a lot to think about um, in terms of why they wouldn't give it to us, I suppose. There's a timeline. Is, is there a timeline on when the bid will be yeah, announced? Yeah. So we'll know by next autumn okay. um, whether we're successful or not. But there's different steps in the process. So the, the dossier has gone in. We've submitted all of our information to UEFA. Um, and then you get some feedback. I mean, tomorrow, for example, we've got a meeting of the steering group, uh, which is the five CEOs, to go through more detail. And there's lots of details we worked out, but the broad strokes are all in place. We know uh, essentially where the games would be played, certainly um, um, in... Yeah, we, we have a good sense of where the games would be played. Uh, there's a bit of jockeying to be done between the federations on details, but that's OK. Uh, once we win the bid and are successful, we'll figure it all out together. Well, I guess the, 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 one of the issues as well, I, I think at this stage anyway, it's, it's down to be a 24-team Euros as opposed yeah. to bringing it to a 32-team Euros. So the number of host teams that automatically get qualifying is, is yeah. another issue like is the, has there been any discussion on that I, I, I imagine all five aren't going to automatically qualify so there has to be some discussion around how that works yeah I mean we discuss it all the time um, you know all the different headings um, you know the stadiums that are going to be used but for the qualification I mean you're not going to get I'd imagine five automatic qualification spots if you get that that's fantastic um, but I don't think it'll work like that. So, you know, I don't know, would you be aiming for, for, for less than five mm-hmm. uh, and more than one? Um, and then you've got to work out the criteria if... Um, hopefully we all qualify, firstly. I think I have to say that. Uh, it's 24 teams at the moment. Um, hopefully we all qualify. We've qualified for the last two Euros, of course. Um, so there's a lot of confidence that we should keep qualifying for these tournaments. But if we don't, the fallback position of these automatic qualification places would be important. And then we've got to agree between us the number uh, and the criteria for getting them spots, of course. So that's going to be a, a bun fight, I presume, between us all. But it'll be done in the right spirit, which everything around this bid has been done so far. Well, fingers crossed we get that, that bid certainly over the line. Um, as I mentioned, look, you're, you're formerly of the, the Football Association yeah. of Ireland and, of course, bouncing over then to, to, to Wales. Plenty of experience there. But, uh, and I guess a lot of people, the FAI trying to move on from, from previous... Yeah. John Delaney era uh, like when, when you look back now at, at that time and maybe where the FAI is at now as, a, as an organisation and trying to move on and look the women's team qualifying for the World Cup and so yeah. many positive things yeah. uh, what are your thoughts on how, how the FAI has maybe developed from that uh, admittedly terrible era to, to now essentially yeah well but first I'll let the FAI talk about how they're doing to be frank um, I've got my hands full with managing Welsh football I have enough to worry about uh, in Cymru um, so I let the FAI speak for how they, they are progressing but from seeing the um, women get to the World Cup finals was fantastic obviously I was here when uh, we appointed Vera Powell as the manager um, and that was a big decision because at the time there was a lot happening uh, there was a lot of issues to solve and in, in the middle of all of that mm. uh, we had to appoint uh, a manager for the women's national team 
uh, and the selection has proved to work out pretty well. Yeah. Um, and look, it's just been fantastic to see the crowds growing. Uh, for women's football generally, by the way, I mean, you saw with ourselves, we played a playoff match the other night in Cardiff with 15,200 people right. to see our women's national team play. So it's growing so quickly. We've got uh, a fantastic squad. But unfortunately, we were beaten by Switzerland the last kick of the ball in extra time in the playoff. But we're really comfortable that we're going the right direction in Cymru, that our team... Um, our women's national team is really good um, and you know we've, we've got a side that's growing so I think we'll qualify for lots of tournaments over the next few years uh, and hopefully we can fill the stadium I mean our stadium in Cardiff City is 33,000 seats we can fill it now for the men okay against Ukraine and Austria for our, quali- for our playoffs where you couldn't you know you couldn't get a seat uh, but for the women's team we're at over 15,000 and I think if we come to a, a night in Cardiff where we're aiming to qualify for Euro 25, I think we'll fill the stadium. I really believe right. that. And that's our big goal in the next campaign is to fill the stadium completely for a women's international um, and to just show the massive progress and to build upon the massive progress we made in the last campaign. Yeah, and that, I think that's the conversation that's happening here as well in terms of, you know, filling Tala Stadium, Definitely. getting a friendly in the Definitely. Aviva Stadium, all the rest. And, and even, you know, seeing things like, you know, players' faces on billboards and buses and that sort yeah. of stuff it's, it's clearly increased in, in interest and intrigue for, for many people I guess like Liberty Hall was it's hard to believe it's five years ago now but yeah. it, that's probably the when you look at Irish women's football it's probably the yeah. line in the sand turning point from before then and, and after then like, did it feel like a colossal moment for you back, back then five years back ago? Then, back then I was in UEFA I remember seeing it um, and you know it certainly didn't read well um, that's for sure um, but at that stage, um, you know, the women's game, and even still, there's issues coming up in the women's game. We're always looking for equality and everything. Um, still, there's new issues emerging all of the time mm. that you have to keep responding to, and that till we get to a place where. And there's different issues, by the way. I mean, there's certain things, for example, even with us, um, the men's players all have boot deals. The women's players don't have boot right. deals, so we have to give them extra boot deals. We have extra support we have to give them. We have extra staff in around the women's camp that the men don't have. Mm. So it's, it's a mix of everything, to be honest with you. Uh, the equal pay is obviously a big issue, of course. Uh, making sure that they've got the same charter flights. All of them things, which thankfully we've all moved a million miles on from. And I think if you look at the Irish squad, they look so happy. They, they've earned what they've got going to the World Cup finals. Women's football, women's sport is in a good place, but women's football is just explosive. Any sponsor that comes into me now to talk about Welsh football, even though the men's team is going to the World Cup finals, mm. the first thing they ask me about is the women's game. Right. Yeah, the yeah. Fir- like the commercialisation of the women's game, we'll see lots of benefits coming to, um, to the athletes, which you should get. But also even in terms of salaries of managers and different things, mm. the salary benchmark for women will grow quite quickly as the... Um, commercialization the tv rights and that grows um you know we'll end up paying a lot more but it's great because it means that people want to watch women's football so much now i have to say i think the english women's super league is fantastic i've watched a bit over the weekend uh and the way uh, the broadcasters have taken that forward and the way the sponsors have taken it forward and the way that uh, the people behind the tournament have taken it forward is absolutely fantastic so it's like a race to the top thankfully for everybody so if you look back at liberty hall them pains were being felt not just in ireland but in many countries across europe 
it feels very much, certainly like in, in Western Europe, certainly, and I think increasingly across all of UEFA countries, that it's moving on at a million miles an hour, and it's just fantastic. Um, when you look at, uh, and you mentioned, look, Wales qualifying for the, this World Cup, uh, yeah. and first time since 1958, which is an extraordinary achievement, um, and we watch them closely, but uh, there, there's the, the issue for, for every football association that that's involved with yeah. Qatar and, and the, the human rights abuses and the LGBTQ plus issues and migrant deaths and you know the list goes on in terms of uh, what's, what's happening here over there in Qatar like w- w- does it sit uneasily with you as, as, as a chairperson of one of the associations involved like it's you, you guys are put in a difficult situation in that you're, you've qualified for the tournament and yet there's so much negative uh, word around this tournament and rightly so I guess a lot of people would, would say well, the first thing is, uh, when I was at UEFA, you know, the, before I came to, to Cymru, a working group had been set up for the countries that were qualifying for the World Cup finals. So you'd have had the ones early doors, like the French, the English, the Germans, the Dutch were in quite early because they qualified through their groups. So that working group was set up to interface with the Qatar Supreme Council uh, and the various bodies like FIFA, of course, um, who are the organisers of the tournament. So I, was, I felt good that I knew the early meetings between between the UEFA working group and FIFA and uh, the Qataris. Now, what we did know, uh, that there was legislative development in the country, you know, the ending of the kafala system and different things, that, was, that we knew was positive. But what was important to think about, what was the pr- principle for us when we're thinking we qualified, we beat Ukraine to qualify for um, the World Cup finals, and immediately your mind goes, OK, we're going to the World Cup finals, it's going to be, you know a spotlight shone on the region. So what we thought about was, okay, could we use this tournament as a chance to use this beautiful game that we have to improve the world and to make the world better? Or do we just all turn our backs on everybody and just become exclusionary? So our view very much was, like the other UEFA nations, was, okay, let's go in with the various bodies, like the International Labour Organization, the likes of Amnesty and that, sit down with people and use this as an opportunity to really, you know, to, to move things forward. Um, and what's important is, I mean, to be fair to the Qataris, what they're saying is they want to use this period of discussion and debate and examination um, to become leaders in their own region. That's what they want to be. Now, our experience so far, there's a number of issues that we're looking at, as you quite rightly mentioned, migrant workers is a big issue. You know, we've called upon, um, we've called for that migrant centre, that migrant centre is quite a simple concept to me. It's basically, many years ago, our ancestors went to New York, Boston, Sydney, uh, London. Uh, and when they arrived there, you know, t- to understand, especially as different language in some cases, for these people arriving in Qatar, you know, to have information about what forms to fill up, you know, what they can do in the country, you know, what the laws are and that, it's quite confusing for people. So the migrant centre is basically an information centre for migrants to understand what their rights are and all that kind of stuff. Then there's the compensation fund, as you know, which we don't know how that's landed, but that's a call for yeah. us. And then the other thing from us as well, that we want to engage with people, we've come up with the concept of the One Love armband, which is a, a rainbow-coloured armband, which is about um, showing solidarity with the LGBTQ community. We've got a rainbow wall in Cymru um, that is very special to us. So so we have put out our statements. The Welsh governments have a value statement as well. And it's really trying to use this tournament, which is absolutely our aim, to use as a platform for improvement rather than criticising all of the time. Yes, we're criticising, yeah. we should, but we should use it as a platform. And I must say, the meetings I've been at with the Qataris has shown uh, propensity for improving things. Yeah, and, and, and like when you say, look, the Qataris obviously want to be seen to be world leaders. Like A lot of people would argue they can be 
we're leaders by improving these things yeah. straight away, by, yeah. by improving women's rights and LGBT rights, and a lot of people would argue that they're not doing enough, uh, as things stand. Like, yeah. And I know from your perspective, like I, I look at things like the Australian FA releasing the video with the players yeah. and kind of pointing out all these issues. Like, yeah. uh, Some people argue, and you know, there, there's an opportunity there for, for different countries, every country at the World Cup, to to do something now that's something I don't know what that is yeah. but to stand up and, and maybe like, have, the, have the Welsh FA had any thoughts or, or ideas or meetings even about maybe doing something that, that people talk about uh, you know like a, a Jesse Owens moment you know something that people look back on years to come and go okay they were highlighting serious issues in, in the country that hosted the, the World Cup yeah I mean we had to look at our approach towards it so we worked with the Welsh Government um, and they've got a piece of legislation called the Wellbeing of Future Generations, which is a brilliant piece of legislation, which is basically about sustainability of Cymru going forward. Um, so we spent a lot of time debating this with them, and they've created, the government themselves, a value statement on Cymru to the world, uh, basically, which them values are pretty clear. I mean, if you read the document, it's really clear what we believe is right. Um, but we also did agree all together that we would use this as an opportunity for dialogue. We don't particularly want it to become a beauty pageant of who does the most yeah. fantastic protest. I mean, I, you know, that's up to each country to decide what they want to do themselves. We're also very laissez-faire with the players. So if the players decide they want to do something, no problem. We'll, you know, we talk to the leadership group of the players uh, very regularly, every single camp, about their views on how we're developing. And what you have to... Um, considers the in Cymru, the FAW, is seen to the forefront of um, cultural progress as a country that is becoming increasingly confident, increasingly agile. And one of the things I always think about is, you know, having grown up in the west of Ireland, you know, what Jack brought to us as a, as a country yeah. on the world stage with that magnificent group of players where we got to Euro, 20, or Euro 1988 and beat the English in Stuttgart. And that kicked off... You know, I mean, there's certain studies done about the link towards the Celtic Tiger. I'm not altogether sure how <laughs> exact science there is behind that, yeah. but we do know that it made us. A, it certainly embedded an extra confidence and a layer of pride in being Irish. Now, with the success of this group since 2016, getting to the semi-finals in their first tournament in many years, uh, getting to the semi-finals of the tournament, getting to your 2020, and coming out of the group, now getting to the first World Cup in 64 years, mm. there's a real buoyancy amongst the group. There's a real togetherness amongst that group. They know what they're doing for us as a country on the world stage. So going to Qatar, they're quite deep, these guys. They're quite connected to social issues. When they arrive in on the 13th and 14th of November, because we're heading over on the 15th, there will be discussion on, you know, how do we approach it with them. Yeah. When they go off and play for their clubs, we've got one player in Los Angeles, we've got one player in France, we've got many players across England, Germany, mm. different places. I mean, they don't meet on teams every night to discuss this stuff, so they don't see each other all the time. Yeah. It's when they come into camp, they might have certain ideas that they'll discuss together. But as an association, we are very connected to social issues. As I say, in Cymru, we'd be seen as very much a leader in bilingualism, in sustainability, in equality, diversity, inclusion, how society, in our view, should be, um, should, you know, should evolve. So going to Qatar, we've got a number of things that we're already working on, like our, our own statement, we've, which we've put out uh, yesterday, for example, at a meeting with the First Minister, uh, Mark Drake, from the TUC, which is, you know, a huge union, global union, who outlined to us the improvements that Qatar have made, it, as I say, in legislative development. They've shown us the figures, for example, of migrant workers that back in 2019 couldn't move job. 
and now you've got hundreds of thousands who conflict between jobs and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So there's improvement being made. The question is the speed of improvement. And certainly when we go to Qatar, there'll be plenty of meetings around the tournament where that discussion will go on. The UEFA Working Group is our Klingon, because the UEFA Working Group is the 13 or so nations from Europe that are playing in the World Cup Finals. That's the working group that has the power. That's the one that's engaging with the Qataris and with FIFA. And that's made a lot of progress. And I think after the tournament, we have to continue with that. It's yeah. not just the tournament comes and it's gone. There has to be a legacy of the tournament. And to be fair, the meetings I've been at and having met the, the Qataris and met FIFA, on a, there is a real spirit of progress there. Um, and I think over the next couple of weeks, the rhetoric and the talk around Qatar will hot up. We're very conscious of that, uh, for sure. But we've got our own way of communicating we've got our own way of um, of bringing things forward and we're confident that we're in the right um, the right lane very finally Noel and you've been very good with your, with your time um, like you have England and, and USA and, and Iran and I guess Iran are the, the ones that have been making the headlines in the last week you've had the Ukrainian FA calling for their expulsion from the World Cup um, again leaves you guys in an awkward position that you're, you're in the same group as the Iranians uh, and this is all of course to do with uh, I guess the, war, the Russian invasion of Ukraine and Iranian support um, like, does, does it lead to any awkward questions have you had to have, have any meetings with this I guess the question is the, the English FA the Welsh FA and the, the American Football Soccer Association are going to have to decide you know, is there any way we can have solidarity with the Ukrainian FA on, on these issues because no doubt they want the Iranians not to take part in this tournament whatsoever. Well, we've gone through this for many months, obviously, since the invasion of Ukraine, which all of us felt desperately sad about. And the solidarity with the Ukrainians has been really strong, of course. Um, we played them uh, to qualify for the mm. World Cup finals. There was all the debate before our playoffs that we felt that they should have got a place through to the World Cup at Ukraine. We discussed that with FIFA. We, we discussed things like that. In the end, we played off, and they obviously beat Scotland, came to Cardiff, and, and fortunately for us, certainly, that we managed to qualify for the World Cup finals. But um, the president of the Ukraine FA, Andrew Pavelko, I would know very well from my time at UEFA, I felt desperately sorry for him on the day. I could see the tears in his eyes because yeah. he knew for his own country what that would have done for Ukraine. Uh, to get to World Cup finals, what statement that would have made if Ukraine had been going to the World Cup finals. But obviously we had a job to do. We're uh, you know, a country that wanted to be at a World Cup finals. We hadn't been there for 64 years. So the players were very focused on getting Cymru to a World Cup finals, which thankfully they did. Now, since then, of course, you know, we've all um, worked very closely with Ukraine on all sorts of issues to demonstrate solidarity and our togetherness and our brotherhood um, with the Ukrainians. Uh, I heard about the letter um, going to FIFA from the Ukrainian FA. I've had no contact from FIFA, from the Ukrainian FA, or anybody uh, with regards to Iran. But what I can say is that we've had discussions with the Welsh Government about our approach uh, to the match with Iran. So we're kind of in a wait-and-see mode on Iran, watching to see what develops. We keep our finger on the pulse of how it all goes. But um, to you know, we've got the two sides. We've got to prepare to go to World Cup finals and all the technical analysis of the different teams that we're playing against. How are we going to unlock them and how are we going to get the results we need to get out of the group, of course. So the technical team is very focused on playing USA, Iran and England. From my side and from the association's board side, we've got to keep watching that situation to see how it evolves. Today, I don't, you know, at the moment, I don't see any other result than us playing Iran on the day that we're slated to play against them. I don't see any change to that. I'm not aware of anything like that. Um, but um, watch this space. Listen, Noel Mooney, CEO of the Welsh FA, thanks a million for your time. Gareth Margaret. OTB AM with Gillette in association with Movember. Effortless shave, magnificent mode.